Welcome everybody back to another episode of the Basin Binge, another episode in this binge through of the Fast and Furious. We are almost done, which is crazy. Can't believe that there's one left, the Fast 9 in theaters after this, because starting this felt like it was going to take forever, especially because it doesn't start great, so it really felt like it was going to take forever, but it has been super fun because of the help I have received from the great guest who is here once again, Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies, my podcast family, so to speak. It was perfect to have them on for the Fast and Furious franchise. So, Matt, go ahead and introduce yourself for the eighth time. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, as Harrison said, I'm Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies. And, yeah, this podcast has certainly flown... Well, this series has certainly flown by. Uh, there are some speed bumps in the road, but we are we are almost at the finish line. Just like the what was supposed to be a quarter-mile race in the first Fast and Furious, uh, you know, we're going to nine films here. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I can't believe it. But I am excited to have you here. I'm excited to talk about Fate of the Furious. This is an interesting movie for me. It was one that I was excited for just from the cover of it alone, which is kind of stupid. Like, why should you <laughs> prioritize a film off of the poster? But whatever. Uh, it was also directed by F. Gary Gray, whom I love. But we will get into it. I, I almost like started my two cents, which I guess I'll just start. <laughs> we'll, we'll start the first segment, two cents, which here at the Basement Binge is where we give our spoiler three thoughts, thoughts about the film, and then we'll get into the spoiler. So I guess since I started, I'll go first. I was really, really excited for Fate of the Furious, and I don't want to get too much into my expectations because I'll save that for a later segment, specifically for that. But, but Fate of the Furious is a movie that I am so conflicted about. Uh... I was talking to Rob right before we started this, and he's like, oh, it doesn't sound like it was too successful of a film. And in some ways, it is the worst Fast and Furious movie I have ever watched. And in other ways, it's one of the best. And I am so irritated with it for all the reasons that it's not, that it's one of the worst, because there are so many things about this film that I wish could have been done with a different story. Uh, I, this isn't spoilers, but the reason I don't like the movie is entirely because of the story. Everything else about it, I think, is super fun. There's performances that I think are great and really intriguing. There's technical things about it, like the stunt work and the cinematography and editing that I think is really, really engaging and really fun. Obviously, Dwayne Johnson, I'm a huge fan of, and he's super engaging here. But there are some things that affect all of that, and that while those things are enjoyable, they are also ruined in the way that they're done, and also just by the story. Uh, maybe Rob feels differently, but I, I, it's hard to want to talk about the positive things I feel about this movie because of all the frustration I have with it. Not because there isn't positive things, but just because I'm so frustrated that, it, you know, it's like that person you're mad at, you never want to say anything nice about them, even though there probably is. And that's how I feel about this movie. <laughs> so I, I can't say more without spoilers. So Matt, I'll let you take it away with your two cents. Yeah, this is a movie that for me, there's a lot here and there's a lot to like about this movie, but it is for me personally hindered by one major missing thing. And this is not spoilers, but there is one character missing from this that completely takes me out of the experience. And I did not realize until a rewatch how much I feel this person carries this franchise more so than Vin Diesel and Dominic Toretto. 
there's not a lot else for me to say. There's Harrison, I agree with a lot of points. There's some really good stunt work. But this is just it is Kool-Aid without the sugar. It's missing <laughs> it, it's missing one ingredient. And without getting into major spoilers, um I'm gonna keep the segment what it should be. So that'll that'll be my two cents. Okay. All right. The- this is going to be an interesting movie to talk about. I, I agree with what you said, that, that the story, I think, really hinders because of the absence of a character and the almost like compensation they're trying to make for him being absent and trying to fill his place. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, anyway, we'll get into the spoilers here. Before we do that, we need to do the next segment, which is Rummage for the Rotten, where here, when I have a guest on the show, we're going to vote who we think is the person who likes the show the least. You can vote for yourself. And then at the end of the episode, we'll rate it out of five. And whoever likes it the least is the rotten. You win absolutely nothing except for being right. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So uh, you can play along at home. Let us know what you think and were you right. So I, I, I don't even know what to guess because I, I know how much I dislike it maybe that's like <laughs> helping you, but I know that I'm not a huge fan of it and I know that you're not, but I don't know who is more so. If I had to guess, I think that it's going to be you just because there are some things about it that I really, really love and also F. Gary Gray is like one of my favorite directors. So like I'm having a hard time being really, really hard on the film just because I'm like, no, it's F. Gary Gray. Like be nice to him. Uh, so that makes it hard to, you know, go full send on the, destruction of it so i'm, I'm gonna vote that you would be the rotten here but just slightly yeah no i think uh i'm 100 in agreement i actually don't think there will be um really a contest with this i i feel like i 100 will be the rotten oh interesting okay well here we go we'll get into the spoilers before that because matt is so great to join me for eight of these films actually nine because we're gonna do the ninth one together i again have to give him the opportunity to talk about a show, Matt goes to the movies. So take it away. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Matt goes to the movies. You can find that wherever you get your podcast. Harrison has been on there several times. We've done every MCU episode uh, show up until Loki right now. We're working on that. Um, as of Harrison and I talking, one of the big things that's coming out on Matt goes to the movies is a binge almost of Tom Cruise movies, starting with Minority Report, which actually will be up in live today on Matt Goes to the Movies, followed by Oblivion, which I know Harrison was a big fan of. So I'll be interested to get his thoughts on my thoughts about that oh, movie. Um, I also, after that, will be doing The Last Samurai followed by Top Gun and then leading up to Top Gun Maverick, which I know we're both really excited about seeing that movie um, individually, obviously, because Harris and I live nowhere near each other. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's something we're both excited for. And also today, just because of timeframes and everything, 
um, Spiral from the Book of Saw and Equilibrium will all actually be up and live on Matt Goes to the Movies today. Uh, so look forward to those because they were they were all a lot of fun to do, especially Spiral, because that was my first experience back in the, in a movie theater was that movie uh, well after uh, for over a year that I was able to get into a movie. Wow. theater. So Spiral was a, a fun one to talk about, especially because of my experience being back in a theater after so long. Well, great. I, I look forward to those episodes. Um, obviously, I've heard about them as I've given you the chance to announce your show, but every single time you'd bring it up, I'm like, oh, can't wait to listen to that. So thank you again, Matt, for being here. I really, really do appreciate it. And I will let you take it away into the spoiler section first with the next segment, Pick Your Poison. This is the basement binge scale of rating. You know, based off this watch with the film, how are we going to interact with it? Is it, one, the worst thing you can give it, never watch it again. Two, stream it. It's on a service you're already paying for. You're looking for something to watch. And you'd just be willing to put it on, maybe in the background or whatever. Three is rent it. In the right circumstances, you pay a few bucks. And top of the list is buy it. Pretty straightforward there as well. Matt, I'll let you take it away first. So this is a very, very slim stream it. It is carried by performances by Dwayne Johnson. Um in certain areas, it is also carried by Jason Statham. Their chemistry in this movie, I think, works. Obviously, people liked it because we got Hobbs and Shaw based on their interaction in this movie. But this is something that, you know, unlike Too Fast, Too Furious, which I rank as the lowest, I could watch that for these shows and laugh. Um, it's kind of like a, a Batman and Robin to me. I can watch that movie and laugh because, wow, this is horrible, but it's so funny. The Fate of the Furious, I have a very hard time. I had a, a struggle to keep this movie going during a rewatch because it's supposed to be... There's aspects of this movie that you're supposed to take so seriously that just do not work. Um, and it, to me, it does not have the heart of the other movies, even some of the ones that I don't necessarily rate high still have more heart. And that's because I, this would be as good as time as any to me, it's the absence of Brian O'Connor in this movie. So it's a very, very small stream it for me. Understandable. If I had to, if I had to watch this movie again, the only thing I would enjoy about it is the camera work stunt work and Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham and their chemistry together, their characters from what I've seen for the trailers of Hobbs and Sean, what I know about it, it seems like the whole movie is just them going back and forth in the way that they do in this film, which makes me really want to watch Hobbs and Shaw's because that was actually super fun. Like I really, really enjoyed that, but there is so much else of this movie that I don't. And it makes it hard to decide if I would watch this movie again. Um, obviously, I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw, so that kind of makes it hard. But I feel, at least at this time without watching it, that I'm probably never going to watch this movie again. Because if I wanted to get... The, the things that I like about this movie, I know I can get in other places. Uh, assuming that Hobbs and Shaw is, is what I think it is. Uh, but we'll, we'll kind of see from there. So yeah, it's, it's a it most likely never watch it again. Uh, you know, but I, I 
not to the point where if someone was like, hey, I'm watching this, you know, like if it was on somewhere else and someone else was watching it, would I walk out of the room? No, but I'm never going to choose to watch this for myself. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll move, or before we move on, any other thoughts about that, Matt? No, I think it's summed up as well as we can. There's, there's, to me, there's no heart to this movie and I, I could care less about the story about what the centric plot is and the emotional attachment that we're supposed to have. I don't have it. I, I just, I don't. And again, I feel like it stems from the absence of Brian O'Connor, Paul Walker in this movie, because I feel like his interaction and maybe how the story could have went, had he been around with the situation, it would have led to more emotion for how Dom was feeling and how we're supposed to feel for Dom in this movie. Yeah. I, for example, one scene that I'll, I'll talk about now, just cause we're on the topic is in the movie when Dom's betraying them and they're trying to know what to do and they're in Mr. Nobody's hideout or whatever. And Roman says something like Brian would know what to do. I think it was Roman. And Luddy's like, no, we, we all promise that we, we wouldn't bother him or whatever. And my head was like, oh, yeah, to them, he's still alive. Like, he's not dead. It, which is a weird disconnect between reality and fiction. But it, it, uh, it's just, it, it, it's heartless. It's soulless. It, it just, it feels like an over-the-top action film that I don't particularly feel invested in. And especially because Furious 7 feels like such a good ending that, just just by the nature of that, making a film after Fury 7 is going to be hard because you're going to have to continue a story that feels like it's ended. It's, and that is just creates so many problems in and of itself. Yeah, and I think the admittance of, you know, oh, Brian would know what to do. I understand that they still want to honor and they made the decision to have this character still alive out there in this universe. But again, pointing that out, I think, puts on display your biggest flaw with this movie is, well, Brian would know what to do. Okay, well, there is what? Tej, Roman, Letty. There's, you know, six other people that are a part of this group that you're openly admitting do not have the same relationship with Dom that Brian does. So by admitting that he's not around, you're pointing out your biggest flaw in the movie and you can't help, at least in my case, as an audience member, think about that, that, yeah, none of you have the connection that Brian, that Brian does to Dom, even though you're all a family, but it's, it's the biggest glaring issue is I never realized how much I actually feel that Brian O'Connor and Paul Walker's character is the nucleus of these fast and the furious movies that he's the, he's the spoon that stirs the drink, not Dominic Toretto. I actually feel that Brian has a much bigger impact on how this group interacts and how I feel about these movies than anybody else. Oh, I completely agree. And it's interesting because as someone who's coming into this franchise after the passing of Paul Walker, Vin Diesel very much feels like the, the tip of the spear so to speak, and I realized through watching the franchise that that everything is really at its best when it's about Brian, and I would also add Mia into that. You know, one of the things I loved about Fast Five, I think it was, was that it finally showed Mia 
driving and like it made her feel like part of the team and, and that connection is what makes a great trilogy in uh five six and seven and it, it, it's sad how gone it is already and how even even i talked about in my two cents how i really really don't like the story i think it is just a stupid idea to have the entire premise of this film be that Vin Diesel has a son out of nowhere with Elena and not Letty, even though you're hinting that Letty and Dom would want one. I said Vin Diesel, but I meant Dom. Anyway, to then have him turn his back on them without saying a word to them, even though he had multiple opportunities to, and then they have to go then and stop him with the help of Mr. Nobody and Jason Statham and The Rock, who break out of prison. It's like, obviously, you got to get the team together because now these group are the Avengers instead of just street racers. But it, it just, it doesn't feel like a street racing movie. It feels like a, a generic action movie, team up action movie with a bunch of cars. And like, that's the only continuity to Fast and Furious. And they're trying to compensate for the lack of Paul Walker by taking the story to places it never should be. And, and it, not only does it make the absence of Paul Walker that much sadder but it it totally sucks any heart that could have remained without him being there which was already minimal yeah um i i I can't agree more so if if you can't tell this live up probably isn't going to go very well but we'll move on to it anyway so live up is a segment where i talk about my expectations going into the film having never seen it and if it was able to live up to those expectations, then I give Matt a chance because someone who has a history with this franchise, how this film fits into the legacy of the franchise and also its own legacy on a rewatch frame. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I was so eager to say it doesn't, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. My expectations going to in this film were that I really liked the director. I was excited to see a director who I thought directed great car choreography and car stunts in the Italian Job remake. I was excited to see that he was back with uh, Charlize Theron and that he was involved in a movie with a bunch of driving. I was stoked for that. But then I was also like, well, how is this going to continue after Fury 7? Because Fury 7 really feels like an ending. And I know how studios work. They want to make money. So they're going to try and push the envelope to compensate for seven being like an ending and try and get people reinvested in this by pushing the envelope. Additionally, one of the problems that I had with uh, Fast and Furious 6 and Furious 7, as much as I liked them, was that it was getting a little bit too over the top for me. Fast 5, I think, was the peak because it still felt like a group of criminal criminals who really en- enjoyed Street racing who just were continually getting in over their head and had to go to great extents and use their driving skills. And then suddenly in in Furious 6 and 7, they became like super geniuses, the Avengers. And it it really changes the tone of it, which works in some ways. But for me, I'm not a huge fan of it. And it's like a sexual relationship. Once you get to a point, you don't come back. You don't go back over to the line. So I knew that, that in addition to pushing the envelope, in addition to continuing the weird genre that a Fast and Furious movie has become, that it was going to be a little bit of a mix of things I didn't like. So I had really high hopes and things that I was genuinely looking forward to. And in a way, those things delivered, but also the things I was worried about 
were way worse than I anticipated. So did it live up? Yeah, it kind of exceeded my expectations in a bad way in that it was worse than I expected, and which is sad. Makes me a little bit nervous, but also excited for Fast 9. I don't know. This I just... I'll finish it off with this. The, the biggest glaring problem is that Paul Walker and the connection he had with Dom and the connection that these people had together because of Paul Walker. Paul Walker is the one that created all the chaos and brought all of them together. It was never Dom. And I think that Paul Walker was just kind of hiding behind Dom. I, or I guess Brian, I should use the right names, <laughs> be consistent here. Brian was kind of hiding behind Dom. And well, now he's gone. And Dom's character has got to take all of that weight that Brian had. And they try to do that by literally replacing Brian with a child to the point where they give the child the name Brian. That is the most disrespectful thing I think happened in the movie. When she's like, oh, I think his first name should come from his father. I slapped my forehead and I was like, they better not name him Brian. She, they be- and I knew they would. And they did. And it's just... You can't replace Brian O'Connor. You have to find other ways to move on because obviously stories and characters and people adapt, but you can't replace things. You can, can move on and adjust, and I just I feel like they tried to replace something they shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, well said, and I will follow it up with, did this movie live up to expectations? Absolutely not. Um, Again, it, it was a hard thing to really, it's a hard thing to think about, okay, well, how does this move on? Because it, seven feels like a perfect ending. It feels like a way where all of these characters could essentially retire, or you could just in your own mind, have an idea of what everybody else is doing. I mean, based on the jobs that they've pulled, they've got more than enough money to not have to do anything Again, um, you know, they're set for life, for God's sakes. They could just relax. But yeah, it's it's painfully obvious. And I don't have a problem with Vin Diesel. Do I think he's the most charismatic guy? Do I think he's a great actor? I think he's somewhat charismatic. Do I think he's a great actor? No, but there's certain roles that he fills. And that's perfectly acceptable because he's good in those roles. But when, again, like you said, now he is the person who really in eight is the one who carries the weight because everything is about him and, oh, how are we going to get Dom and Dom is this and he's so great and the team, you know, it takes seven people on the team to get Dom and all of this stuff. It's just, that's not the focus. I'm sorry, Vin Diesel does not have enough to carry a movie like this that was an ensemble film and supposed to be about family and this brotherhood that he has with Brian O'Connor. And then to completely take that out and have everything be the focus on him just does not work. Also, as fun as it is, you can stop, and for me, you can look at a lot of things and brush them off, and, oh, it's a Fast and the Furious movie. But again, the fact that he's going to go to Shaw, and he trusts Shaw to be the one to rescue his kid, and he wouldn't 
he wouldn't tell anybody on the team like, hey, I'm being blackmailed, so I'm going to go along with this. And here's what we need to do. Like, come on. It's so I can get around the fact and be devoid of logic with car chases and jumping over the bridge to catch Letty. (laughs) Like I can accept that. And maybe I should be able to just completely switch my brain off and accept it all. But when you're trying to be a movie that somewhat wants you to have logic, I, I can't switch my brain off and say, this makes no sense. Why would he go to like, why would he go to Shaw and have Shaw be the one that he trusts instead of Letty or Tej or anybody in that group? Yeah. And it just, everything about it takes me out. Of, and again, there's little things peppered here and there, but as a whole, I, I can't shut my brain off long enough to look past it. No, no. And it, it, it's frustrating to continue on with the lines you talked about. It feels like Universal, I think that's the studio, knew that they needed to adapt the franchise because Brian O'Connor was gone. And good on them for knowing that. And it feels like they tried to do that by replacing the brotherhood with a different type of brotherhood between Hobbs and Shaw. And additionally, putting all of the emotional weight on Dom instead of like a shared weight. The, the reason that the Fast and Furious franchise feels like a family is because it's not just about Brian O'Connor. It's about Brian O'Connor and Dom. It's about Brian O'Connor and Mia. It's about Dom and Mia. It's about Dom and Letty. It's about a group of people. It is truly about the ensemble and how their stories are together. And it feels like the motivations here were not how these people fit together but how can we build these relationships to a point where a sequel or a spin-off series is believable and possible? Like, you're telling me that Hobbs and Shaw would end up in the exact same prison? And then they'd break out at the same time? And then they'd suddenly develop this bond to get along? And that they'd work together? And you're telling me that, that randomly Dom would trust Shaw after literally everything we went through in the last movie? And he killed Han? Like, you're just going to trust him to save your kid instead of somebody else? But, but the studio's like, oh, we got to have a way to make Shaw part of this family so he can stay here for a while. I mean, which is fine because Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham together is seriously great. Like, I, I really hope that there's more of that chemistry and charisma that the two of them and like the stupidity of these two characters together is it captures. Those moments were really, really great. And so it is hard to turn your brain off because you have these stupid moments that are interrupted by these moments that are really good, like I mentioned, between Hobbs and Shaw or, you know, someone else. And it, it, it's, yeah, I'm rambling to repeat what you said. You, you said it better. I should have stopped. But it's, it's just frustrating. And it, it's, I have surprisingly developed a love for these characters in this franchise, and I was looking forward to Fast 9, and now I'm worried. But I still have hope. Yeah, I mean, just to to piggyback, you said it a little bit earlier. When you think about it, Brian is, when you look back, the reason that this group is together. You know, he infiltrated in the Fast and the Furious that street racing team to get close to Dom so that they could take them down and developed 
a relationship with him, developed a relationship with Mia, regardless of what I think of Too Fast, Too Furious. Brian's the reason that Roman is part of this group. Brian is the reason that Tej is part of this group. Those are the characters we care about. These ones that, you know, Dominic Toretto says, oh, I knew two guys. I know these two guys. And, oh, I know this guy from Race Wars who have, you know, there's a scene in the beginning of this movie where he races the guy for his car. And then he shows up later in the movie to show how Dom pulled a fast one on Cypher. I'm sorry. Nobody cares about that character. Nobody right. cares. Nobody cares about these side people that Dom knows throughout his, you know, time as a street racer, or whatever else was going on when maybe he was on the run between, you know, too fast, too furious and Tokyo drift or how, you know, the timeline that actually is the timeline. Nobody cares about them. We care about the characters that Brian O'Connor introduced to the franchise because he knew them. He's the reason the group's together, not Dom. Oh, yeah. And to talk about that character who shows up, you know, who's in the, in the shipping truck to help Dom, they literally had to show the scene where he gives him his keys back so that there would be a visual cue who this character is. Or if it was, I don't know, anyone else, Roman pulls off the mask or whatever reveals himself, we're all going to know who it is. And, and if a character is that helpful, but you have to remind us who it is, you should probably think if that character really would be that involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, it's, yeah. So it, it is really a bummer how, how quickly it falls apart. And the, the other thing that doesn't help is that this has gone to the point, for me, I said this earlier, where it does not even feel like a Fast and Furious movie. Like, like even that opening race, like, yeah, sure, it's a street race, but, like, he drives a flaming car backwards that, like, rocket jumps to the lead. Like, I don't know. It, it totally feels within the vein of Fast and Furious, but at the same time, it's like, this is too much. You know, the... Why are they suddenly involved in in nuclear submarines and and nuclear footballs and and EMPs? I mean, th- we're a long way from stealing DVD players and tuna sandwiches. So I don't know. I mean, which I I'm fine with. I'm I'm sure people like that about it, but it it makes it when one piece is missing, it makes it so much easier to see all the other pieces that are missing. Exactly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's quit destroying this and see if we have anything positive to say by moving on to the next segment, bench points. Okay, Easter eggs, details, trivia, behind the scenes stuff, or anything else that we want to mention that doesn't fit anywhere. And and I want to start it off by saying I I don't know. I was not on the production, and everybody has their story. But whatever it is that happened that led to the fallout between J- Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel seriously ruins the movie. I noticed immediately that they did not share the screen together. Now, maybe you didn't know this when you were watching this movie and you couldn't tell, but I bet that there was a subconscious thing that you noticed that the the, the editing tricks they have to use, that your brain kind of thinks a subconscious lack of connection between the two, it's because they are literally never on the screen together without a cut. And 
I think it's an obvious subconscious thing that you'll notice. And then if you know why, it's glaringly obvious. And it's just, it's stupid. Like, you can't, I, again, I don't know. I'm not putting fault on anyone. I, I'm not saying who, because I don't know. I haven't researched it. And personally, I don't really care. But it's just stupid that something as big as like being a family and working together literally did not happen behind the scenes. Yeah, it is. Again, when I first saw this movie in theaters, I didn't really notice it. I wasn't really looking for it. Um, but man, on this on the rewatch, it, it's just glaringly obvious that it's camera tricks to make them look like they are in the same vicinity. Yeah, it, it does not go well. Um, but besides that, do you have any other binge points? I'm no, I, I know I said we were going to try and say something positive. <laughs> I started with something negative, but any binge points you have? Yeah, I mean, again, we've we've pointed it out, but the chemistry, uh, again, you sit there and kudos to them for bringing in Jason Statham and giving him a role and then thinking, oh, because sometimes you just, you know, how would we know that Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson would have such unbelievable chemistry together like sometimes you just sit there and go boy i never would have thought that that's one of these moments where i just never would have expected this kind of chemistry between these two so that really works i once again i i do like mr nobody i think that's a very good portion of this movie i think the damage again, I'm always impressed by the damage that this movie pulls off. And that scene where all of the cars are just like coming out of buildings and there's destruction everywhere. There's some fun. There's some fun moments in this movie, but they're so scattered. And immediately after is a scene that is supposed to, you know, have you feel some sort of emotion that's just not there. So immediately your mind forgets about maybe the fun that you just had and goes to, well, here's 30 minutes of the movie that I just don't care about. And when you have five minutes of fun and then 30 minutes where you're just sitting there going, I wonder what else is going to happen. It, you can't sustain a watchable movie with that type of strategy. Um, and uh, again, I, I hate to just break this thing down, but this movie is an example of it just doesn't feel like family anymore. It, it just, it doesn't. And it feels so sad. And I, who thought that it would be a good idea to have Vin Diesel betray his family to save his family? Like what? And you're telling me he's not going to tell anybody. And it almost, I want to say this really carefully because a child is a life changing thing. Having a child, I assume. And I'm sure that many people would do anything for their children. And that complicates everything. But all of that aside, it, this film makes it feel like his relationship with Elena is more important than his relationship with Letty. And it doesn't make sense. And at the end of the movie, when he's bringing the supposed Brian baby up to Letty to say, I want to introduce you to the most important person in my universe speaking about letty it's like well why the crap did you not tell her a single thing when you like almost killed her multiple times i i don't know it just feels really dumb that we spend all this time focusing on family and we've talked about how brian o'connor was central to that but another part of it was particularly in like 
um, Fast and Furious 4, definitely, and 5, 6, and 7, was the relationship between Letty and Dom. Like, that was another key thing that was a strong idea about the theme of family. So then to instantly have that completely taken away, and it just really doesn't feel like a family. It feels like a mess. And it's sad because Brian's not here, okay? We can't have Brian be the family part of this story anymore. We got to have someone else do that if that's what it's about. Why not have that be Dom and Letty instead of Dom and the new fake Brian? Uh, Yeah, excuse me. Um, Yeah, he just like, you know, let's not forget Elena when he thinks Letty's alive. He just leaves. Like, he he up and leaves her. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and then he, at the end of the movie, he's like, you know, you don't have to leave. It's like, oh, you can stay with the group. But it it just never feels like their relationship meant a ton to him. And again, yes, he he has a child with her. And when you stop for three seconds to think about the logistics and the time frame of her being pregnant, it <laughs> again throws everything out of whack. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you're supposed to like care that she's uh, again. It's like you had to have the kid involved because nobody would care that she was kidnapped because you never made it seem like they were. I don't know, super deep into a relationship in the first place. Um, you know, what worked about the other movies is family felt natural. The emotions that you were supposed to feel in this movie are forced. Oh, there's a kid involved. So feel like, so feel bad about it. Like, no, that's, that's not how it works. Um, and everything about this that you're supposed to care about feels forced. It's okay. We're going to pluck your eyes open and project an image into your head. So that way you feel like it's important. Yeah. And and it doesn't work. It, It doesn't last. And the sad thing is, is that, to kind of switch over to some other bench points that I really like is that there's things that I really love, like the camera work in this, particularly those shots where they're locked on the car, you know, like those cool shots where it, it like, that is so cool. It, it it adds so much new flavor to the same formula that we get with a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, a lot of the strengths that F. Gary Gray had in the Italian job are totally destroyed by the cinematic language of Fast and Furious, but he found a way to spice it up and make it in- interesting. Or like those drone cars, seeing things, cars do things that they normally shouldn't. There was a lot of practical work done with the stunts, which I'll also say, just as a side note to all Fast and Furious movies, if you're doing so much practical work, why do you do all this weird stuff to it in post that makes it look like the plasticky CGI anyway, if it's practical? Like, I, I, I don't know. But that's a total side note. And and so it's frustrating because I had these moments. I'm like, man, this camera work is amazing. I like this edit. I like the drone cars and the way that they're just driving around like crazy. That was fun. I like seeing Dom outsmart the people with the cables and and you know how cables on a car is genuinely a really bad idea and things like that. And then it's like Dom has a confrontation with Letty in an alley, and then like saves her life from Rhodes, and then just walks away without saying anything. Like I don't know. There's just so much that it you're, you're constantly, if there is something that you like, that you could be reminded of, that you do enjoy, 
you're then quickly reminded why the rest of the movie is not. But I, but I did want to point out that I really, really do love the camera work. The editing was fun. Um, I thought the drone cars were really, really fun. I'm trying to read through my notes and say some other positive things. Te- uh, uh, Roman is still hilarious. And the relationship between Hobbs and Shaw is hilarious. And, and Jason Statham has this screen presence that really can tango with Dwayne Johnson. And it works so well. And, and the way that they've made these characters are so over-the-top, like, testosterone if that makes sense. It just And, and the difference between them, I, those characters are really fun. Uh, another thing, I love that Roman doesn't make the top 10 list. Like, that was just hilarious. I, I, thought, that, I thought that was great. Um, the way that they choose cars, like, I thought that every single car choice, no matter what it was, really added to the the style and characteristics of the character. So there's things in here that like, man, if I look at this, this thing's really great. This part of it's really great. This part of it's really great. And I had to list those because I would feel bad if I didn't. But all of that is ruined and completely forgettable and kind of unmentionable because of all the other areas when we come back to the biggest part of a movie that is the story and how it no longer works. Yeah, I I would like to point out, too, that the plane scene is actually really cool where Shaw, well, the Shaw brothers wasted, like, wasted opportunity because I mentioned it in one of the previous episodes. I love Luke Evans, and it was cool to see him back, so I wish we would have seen a little bit more of him. Uh, But rescuing, you know, Dom's baby, Brian, that was actually pretty darn enjoyable you know he puts the the headphones you know uh deckard shaw puts the headphones on him and he's just going through the plane just kicking the crap out of these guys yeah um like that was actually again pretty pretty fun um that was a fun scene but it's it's too little too late so to speak yeah and it's a super fun scene and like and Deckard's interaction with the baby is like super endearing to the, the character of Deckard, like the way that he gets enjoyment about caring for the baby. It is fun. It adds to the character. It adds a depth to the character that definitely wasn't there in Furious 7. Um, and it, it makes the character not just feel like a villain. Like it makes him feel like a, a guy who's out for revenge, if you will. And so it makes it easier to want him to stay a part of the story instead of just being antagonist. But then your brain goes, why randomly after one movie would Dom trust this guy of all people to save his baby? And and so while you're enjoying that moment, I'm also so frustrated with it that it's not somebody else. Yeah. Again, hundred percent. It's there's, again, I said it, you can ask me to throw logic out the window for certain things, but when you are asking me to take this seriously, but it just makes no sense, you can't help but question it. Yeah, and and I agree. They should have kept the Shaw brothers a part of it. And I know that apparently their mom is in the trailer for Fast 9, so I thought that their family dynamic was super fun. Uh, I hope that continues. Uh, That was hilarious. But it, it just seems like everything's kind of just gotten ahead of themselves. Like, why Why was Charlie's Theron in this movie? <laughs> like, why did she agree to this? Because the performance she gives is actually really great and really engaging, but every single time, like, why is she in this movie? <laughs> right, it, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I hope, I hope she got a big paycheck. Um, 
but I, I don't I don't really have any other bench points except for I just have a question. How in the world did the submarine go from being on those stilt things that it was on that allowed Dom to be underneath it to set off the MP to being in the water? Like it never showed that transition. I have no idea how that happened, but it did, and I'm so bothered. Yeah, I mean, also too, it's hopefully there's cars around you if a huge fireball goes off because that's that's the way that would work. Yeah, um, and and it's okay that you're on ice. It's not like the explosion would send a shockwave and a force through the ice that would crack it. You know, it you're like no, 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 twenty feet away, totally fine. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, oh, also, you can push a torpedo if you skim across the ice moving fast enough from a car, which that was so funny. I thought that was hilarious. And like, that was one of those moments where it was like, it was so dumb, it was enjoyable. But at the same time, you have to question, who's making these decisions that this is a good idea? I mean, Dwayne Johnson might actually be strong enough to do that. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. He's honest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, again, I, I just hate to, to rag on it but again you it's five minutes of fun and i mean this is a long movie it's what two hours and 24 yeah like you know right in that range two hours and 24 minutes or something but when when you have five minutes of fun and i feel there's a good 15 20 25 minutes of things that just you know you break it down and it's Okay, if there's 20 minutes of things that make you question everything, you get what? 20, 40, 60. You know, you get an hour and 50 minutes or whatever of questioning. And then you go, well, I had fun for 25 minutes of this movie. Like, that's a horrible ratio. Yeah, that is. That is. One of the things that I like to do was watch the extras on the Blu-rays and DVDs to kind of get some binge points. And part of this was for time, but also it was just frustration. I really didn't care. I was so frustrated that I was like, I don't care what they did. I don't care at all. Like, they messed up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't have any other binge points. Yeah, I, uh, I am all dried up on that point. Yeah. I, I guess I do have one last one. Where... Is all this technology, like, supposedly we can just remote pilot submarines that are Russian, probably from the Soviet era? <laughs> like, right. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. We're in, the, we're, we're in the wrong field, man. Like, we, we are. <laughs> and why does Charlize Theron character have dreads? Like, of all costuming choices, dreads. I mean, I, I mean, I do not mean this bad. She still looked very good, but they managed to look to make Charlize Theron look unattractive. Like, maybe some people like her, but like the whole time I was like, what? Why? I'm, I'm normally like so enthralled by her and I'm, I'm just not attracted to her at all, which, I mean, that's not necessarily common about her personal beauty, but just a weird choice in having her in your movie and then totally wasting it. Yeah, no, she does feel, she feels like a huge waste in this movie. But whatever, she comes back in the next one, so I'll see what happens there. But let's move on to the next segment here. Let's talk about lists and likes. We've, I don't know, this might be <laughs> the, the likes. Maybe, yeah, we'll let the likes go first. So Matt, do you have a favorite scene from this movie? Yeah, it's it's a tie. I do like the chase. Um, 
when they first find Dom. Um, and they, you know, put the harpoons into the car and then there's, you know, they're going through the city and the cars are falling. I like that. It's a really cool scene. Uh, it's shot very well, actually, for the most part. And then the plane scene. The plane scene is a lot of fun. It is somewhat in a world of craziness that is this movie. Some of that seems believable. Um that Jason Satham is going through the plane as that character and just taking care, you know, just taking care of everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's a fun scene, seeing the baby sometimes just kind of like sitting there, like all wide eyed and things like that. That is fun. That, you know, chase scene where they're trying to get to Dom, that is fun as well. So that would be a definite tie for my, my favorite scenes uh, of this movie. Okay, I I have three that were tied, and it was the two you mentioned already. Additionally, I love the prison breakout with Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson. I just thought that was so fun. But that's just because I love the interaction of their characters when they're insulting each other from their cells, when they're insulting each other in the garage. You know, I'm going to punch you so hard in the mouth that your teeth are going to go all the way down. I, I, and then his character starts laughing. I lost it. I'm not going to say the whole thing because uh, this is a family show. But... Uh, I mean, it's it's so funny, and it's really engaging, and then it's wasted. But I agree that the plane scene is super-duper fun, and, and the constantly cutting back to the adorable baby, that's really fun. Additionally, the, the drone cars is a blast. The way, I mean, I thought it was awesome the way that, like, Dom knocks down all that scaffolding, and then Dwayne Johnson's like, I'll take the shortcut, and just, like, plows his truck through it. Like, it just makes it fun. Like, those moments really are fun because it feels like a group of people being together with all their idiosyncrasies that make them a unique person while also being a team. And I don't know, it feels like, I don't remember the exact line, but it feels like after eight movies that are focused on this group and this family, having one of your characters, it was Dwayne Johnson, say something along the lines of like, let's stick together or like, we got to work together or something like that. Like one of those lines that you hear, it feels like that shouldn't be said in this movie after this long. Uh, additionally, another scene that I like, though, to get back to a, a like, is the opening scene with the, the wrecking ball. Like, that was fun. Like, out of nowhere, wrecking ball. That, that was really, really fun. But other than that, there wasn't much. And, and the bummer is that those scenes are so far apart from one another, and they're so good, and then it gets so bad. Like, like it's okay if you just have a few good scenes, and then everything else is just filler, but to go from good to horrible makes the whole thing horrible. So with, so with that in mind, let's talk about our least favorite scene. Is there one particular scene or moment that is just the absolute worst for you in this film? I, I, I really think it's the actual ending. I, I think the ending for me is really bad. Number one, because everybody's supposed to be together. And, you know, this is one of the very glaringly obvious scenes where, you know, you're, you're supposed to see Hobbs in the background talking and you see diesel, uh, well, Dom with Letty. And then all of a sudden it cuts back, it cuts to Tej and Roman, who, again, 
trying to oh god what is her name the hacker in this movie oh uh ramsey yes ramsey and you know they're trying to flirt with her in the old oh pick one stupid trope uh, <laughs> but it's like it's so disconnected and then you get this I, I'm sorry. Again, you get this line from Diesel, and I'm gonna butcher it as Dom Toretto's character. You know, oh, you've heard me say you never turn your back on family, and it's just like I I cannot even begin to stomach how bad this scene is, how it feels so out of place. Then Shaw just you know, with all of these people, Shaw just walks in, he's got the baby. And again, you the camera angles are so disconnected, so disjointed. It's just a mess. It's a mess. I can't stand it. It doesn't feel, you know, I, I don't feel, I hate to say it like this. I don't feel good about Dom getting, you know, Brian back or anything like that because the whole scene is shot like trash. Oh, yeah. It, it, uh, to say my least favorite scene, it's the same one. Because that's supposed to be the big coming together moment. That's supposed to be the tie-in about how they are a family. And you couldn't even get the people in the same physical space. Like, clearly, at the end, when Dom is saying that dumb line about, you heard me say, I never turn your back on family. And then you have to constantly cut back to The Rock, or Dwayne Johnson by himself, because he's not there. Like, it feels like people aren't there. You can feel it. And, and, and the way that it feels like they have the specific groups of people. Oh, we're going to have Tej and, and, and Roman and, and Ramsey. They're going to shoot on Wednesday. And so we're going to have this corner of the lot for them. And then on Thursday, we're going to have Dom and Letty. And then on Friday, we're going to have Mr. Nobody and Hobbs. And then on Saturday, we're going to have the ending where uh, Shaw shows up, but Dwayne's not going to be here because Vin's going to be here. Uh, and then we'll just cut it together and post. And, and it feels like that. Everything feels disconnected when you're supposed to be feeling a relief through connection. You're feeling the most disconnection through the whole film. Yeah. And like, I'm sorry. The, it feels really insulting. You mentioned this earlier. <laughs> the fact that they start clapping when he says, meet Brian. It's supposed to be a feel good moment. It it's not. I I don't feel anything at all except for insulted. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that's respectful to the character of Brian at all. Like he's been gone for like, I don't know, what, maybe a a few months at most. And you're like, oh, he I miss him so much. I gotta name my newfound son Brian. After all I just went through, you couldn't come up with a better name besides Brian, who literally had nothing to do with any of the events with, of your son. I don't know. It felt so unnecessary and disrespectful. Well, I know it's a tribute. Sorry, like I, I, I know it's a tribute to Paul Walker, but it, it doesn't make sense in the universe that you created because he's still alive. It's not like you're doing it because this character, Brian O'Connor, you know, Unfortunately, in the last movie, you know, he was, you know, killed in one of your escapades or anything. So, you know, they're they're on the nose with it that like, oh, we're supposed to be honoring. But in the universe that you created, there's no reason to call him Brian. There's just not. And, and I appreciate their effort to understand that they should tribute 
Brian and Paul Walker because he is so much of what made this franchise what it is. But it's it's sad that something that has a good intention about it, about it just falls face first right into the gutter, which is a bummer because the kid's cute. It's a baby. He didn't do anything wrong. Obviously, they're trying to honor somebody who we all love, and it, it's just sad that those good things mesh together into something so not good, eh, which is a bummer. And I, I also think that it doesn't help that you know, for five minutes or whatever it is leading up to that, we get the horrible mess that is the editing of that. That definitely takes away from it. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, and, and there's like a clear blue screen to it, which I mean, which some people will never notice, but like, it really takes me out of the movie when it looks that bad. Uh, after the rest of the film had pretty good visual effects. Um, Anyway, that that's a total side note. So, any other any other digs we want to take out the movie before we move on to the last segment? No, I I, I feel somewhat bad enough. <laughs> I I think we've dug a pretty good hole. Okay, I, I agree. I I have to kind of say here though, I wish we could have had F. Gary Gray make a Fast and Furious movie before with a different story, because I think it would have been really really fun. If you want to see why, go watch The Italian Job. I feel like it has so many of the same things. It's the remake from 2003. So many of the same things of a Fast and Furious movie. It's got an ensemble cast that is about family. It's about connection. They're criminals. They're doing a heist. There is great cars with great driving. And and I feel like the energy that he captured that, maybe it was the story, maybe it was the time that the film was made that no longer can be recreated. Maybe it's lightning in a bottle. I don't know. But there was so much about that that I was like, hey, all these things would translate really well to a Fast and Furious movie. I can't wait to get to the movie that F. Gary Gray directed, and then it's a mess. And it's it, I'm so disappointed because I love him. But that's the last thing I have to say. So we'll move on to the last segment, Franchise Inquiry. I don't know what we're going to inquire about because there's only one more after this. But But how is it that this film and Matt if you don't mind me saying, kind of has, he's got a peek behind the curtain because he's already seen Fast 9. I haven't yet. So he's he's holding out all this secret intel for later. But one, one film, you know, okay, let me, let me phrase the question here. How is it that this, I'm not phrasing this question the way it is in my brain. It's not translating. Fast and Furious 7, Furious 7 felt like an ending. This is where the franchise continues from here. What is it that this film does that allows that to be successful, if anything? And maybe in some ways, how does it hinder that? Yeah, Whatever. Let's make it simple. What is this film's part in the franchise? <laughs> I overcomplicated it. Um, you know, that's, that's hard to say. I, for me... Well, it's easy for me to say this now based on the fact that I was actually able to go to a Wednesday release for Fast 9. Um, you know, it officially, like everything used to, came out yesterday uh, as we're talking about Fate of the Furious on Friday. Uh, Thursday, Fast 9 was released, so it's easy for me to go back and look. Um, at this movie a little bit differently, but this is the movie that is the start of realizing it no longer feels like an 
it just no longer feels like an actual family. But I think people, I think people were curious to see how they would continue the story. But also at the same time, I think you can tell by the box office numbers, at least in North America, people did not respond well to this movie. Um, you know, I mean, 226 million is nothing to shake a stick at, but when Furious 7 does 357, regardless of whether or not that was all because, which I don't think it was all because Paul Walker passed away, I think it goes to show that people probably feel the same way that we do. Um, and I, I really think now this is the legacy that you can say what you want, but maybe these movies, like this is the time for these movies to end in this current format. Maybe a spinoff works with Hobbs and Shaw. I do like that movie. Maybe that, you know, probably get a sequel. Maybe there's something you can do, but this group as a whole it's for me easy to say that this movie indicates this part of the franchise should be over. I, I agree with the statements you said there. I, I was reading an article and I can't believe why not, neither of us were, I don't know, smart enough. I don't know if that's the right word to bring this up in fa- franchise inquiry. This is one of the few like billion dollar franchises in Hollywood that gets sequel after sequel after sequel that is completely original. You know, DCU, MCU, whatever you want to pick, Harry Potter, they're based off of pre-existing materials. This, they literally get to make up whatever they want when they make a sequel. And no wonder it's gotten so crazy because every single time they're like, well, let's make it up all over again. And, and, and it clearly causes a lot of inconsistencies that we've seen. But with this film... Going all the way back to before we started these episodes, I watched the Fast 9 trailer, and I thought, this is crazy. I think I want to watch this and go and see Fast 9. We started with Fast and Furious, and it was about stolen DVD players and street racing and a tuna sandwich with no crust. Now, in the Fast 9 trailer, we get people coming back to life who are supposedly dead, brothers of characters coming out of nowhere, like a, a, a 20 wheeler, however, like 18 wheeler with like three trailers doing a full front flip, cars that can fly, Tarzan swinging in a Mustang. Like, what? This is ridiculous. And I, we wouldn't have never gotten to this point, like it or not, without this film. I feel like this film was the nail in the coffin of the Fast and Furious movies, completely changing genres. And and I think that it, I agree with you that it is time for it to go. And if you want to continue the name, because that's how Hollywood works, let it be Hobbs and Shaw or whatever that is. Because those two are great together. And those two fit the formula of an action movie. Those two weren't really street racers. They were, you know, action heroes, so to speak, who drove cars. And that is something that continues. Cont- that is something that can continue with this formula, but the ideas of a family formed around street racing and criminalism, criminal acts, is uh, falling apart. The family may believe that they're super strong and, and they may make films to make us believe that, but the screen presence of that family is a disaster. And it's, it's sad that a franchise that I have come to love 
I am now so frustrated with in the shortest amount of time. I did not expect that to happen. And it's kind of a bummer because they hit a rhythm that could have been really, really fun. And it's just sad how so quickly it fell apart. Great, great explanation. But I think that's going to be a wrap on Fate of the Furious. I cannot wait to record Fast 9. I've got tickets for Tuesday, you know, but then hopefully we'll be able to record after that. A little bit of a late showtown, but just because of the busy weekend. But I'm, I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to see if, well, I don't want to be too decisive, but you, 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 you informed me that Fast and Furious 10 is going to be split into two movies, whether it's 10 part one and 10 part two or 10 11, doesn't matter. There's two more movies after Fast 9. And I have done all of this work to get to Fast 9. And I already feel like I'm ready to give up on it but I've already got tickets. So we'll see if Fast 9 tips me either direction because I'm kind of leaning both at the same time. So anyway, we'll, we'll reveal our rotten here before I officially close this out. We're going to give this a rating out of five reels and we're going to do reels because that's a carryover from Matt's show. Matt goes to the movies again. You should check out wherever you get your podcasts. Two, he rates out of five reels, so we're going to do the same thing here. Whoever gives it the least is the rotten obviously we both guessed that it would be matt so matt i'm gonna let you go first actually other way around sorry we guess it was you so you will go last and i will go first i am giving this a solid one and a half which is i think the same thing i gave too fast too furious there are things about this that are so good but they are so far in between and are so smushed and obliterated by all the bad about it that we have just gone through explaining that it makes it hard to enjoy the good parts about it. But I can't just give it half or one because there are parts about it that genuinely I really, really did like, and I want to be honest to that. So, one and a half. Okay. Um, well, it's actually interesting because it this, rewatching it and thinking about it, this actually made me bump too fast too furious up to two and a half stars and fate of the furious actually would get two for me and it switches positions as for me the worst entry in the series well there we go so i guess i'm the rotten we were both wrong yeah you you are you are the rotten i thought it would have i thought it would have been at least two and a half for you i'm i'm very surprised by that you know what? The crazy thing is, at the start of this episode, I thought it was two and a half, too. Because genuinely, there were things about it that, like, like I talked about those good things. I, in the movie, I was having a pretty decent time watching it. But this is not the rating of that exact experience. This real rating is after I've had this time to record with you and think about it, my rating decreased because of the level of frustration I continued to build up. If I would have just had to slap on rating at the start of this episode, I would have said two and a half because there were highlights of it that I really, really liked. And when I did like them, it was kicking on all cylinders. Um, And I think that we just dug at it so much that I realized, man, there's a lot more that I disliked that I was kind of ignoring and I was kind of going easy on because I really wanted to like it because of, again, F. Gary Gray. And I realized that I was just, I I was being too nice (laughs) because I genuinely was like way irritated 
which is weird because, like I said, I, I just barely started watching this franchise. And then Seven ripped my guts out, surprisingly. I mean, not surprisingly, but also surprisingly. And, and it's so weird to go from, like, a deep love and, like, admiration for what this is even like Fast and Furious and Too Fast, Too Furious, which I didn't particularly love, like I still could kind of admire it like, oh, look at Too Fast, Too Furious, like this cute little thing before it figured out what it was. And now it's like, oh, come on, you ruined it all. So anyway, before we close out officially, Matt, because you've been so nice to join me here for all of this, I want to give you again another chance to plug your show. Matt goes to the movies. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, Again, Matt goes to the movies. Anywhere you can get your podcast, it's on all major platforms. A lot. Uh, Usually I don't, uh, I'll use the word like dump this many episodes at one time, but there's a lot of stuff coming out just because of scheduling and us doing, you know, between us doing Loki and Fast and the Furious, um, a lot of recordings going on. So uh, once again, like I mentioned at the top of the show, Today on Matt Goes to the Movies, well, it's Friday, we're talking, (laughs) so Harris and I are discussing Fate of the Furious on on a Friday, Um, so for me, on the 25th for Matt Goes to the Movies, I will have Spiral from the Book of Saw, Equilibrium, and Minority Report will all be up on Matt Goes to the Movies um, on Friday the 25th, so if you're listening to this now, Head over, you know, head over to Matt Goes to the Movies if you've checked that show out. Um, I appreciate it. And those episodes will be available, uh, which were a lot of fun. And then that Tom Cruise marathon is is still kicking away leading up to Top Gun Maverick. So a, a lot of stuff coming that, you know, normally there'd be a little bit of a break in between some content. But schedule wise, uh, it, it's still been a lot of fun to get my thoughts out on these things. Uh, I cannot wait to listen to them, particularly, like you mentioned, to give you my thoughts about your thoughts on Oblivion. I look forward to that. Tons of great episodes happening over at Matt Goes to the Movies. Real quickly, just to plug my own show, please subscribe to The Basement Binge wherever you're listening to this currently. I would definitely appreciate it. Obviously, we're finishing out the Fast franchise. We got Fast 9. And then I am going to totally take a complete shift from this crazy franchise into back into some films that I have very, very positive and personal thoughts about that I think the messages in are particularly exciting that I want to share. Uh, looking forward to that, particularly, um, I'm still kind of figuring out the order, but one of them that I know for sure is going to be happening in the next few months is La La Land. That film has been on my mind nonstop for months now, so I can't wait to finally have the chance to revisit it and do a podcast. So if you're interested in that, definitely subscribe to The Basement Bench. I would appreciate it. All right, Matt, this has been a ton of fun. I feel like this is an ending, but I have to keep reminding myself there's one more. But like, it feels like this is the last one. Um, it's not. So I appreciate being here. I appreciate that I get to be on your show for Loki episodes. Look forward to recording that. And uh, thank you again for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to these Fast and Furious movies or episodes about the Fast and Furious movies. This has been a trip and a half, and I'm glad I did it. It's been fun, especially having you here, Matt, so I really, really do appreciate it. But once again, it is time to close out the episode. My name is Harrison. This is The Basement Binge, and that is all for now. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 